Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's message. Well, what's up, everybody? How's it going, man? It's so great to be in God's house with my family. So glad that you are here today. I'm excited about this series we've been doing the last couple weeks. How many have been excited about it? Come on, right? It's called Soap, and we have learned something very important that you should use soap every day. In fact, why don't you just smell your neighbor, just see if they use their soap today. Did you use your soap today? And some of you say, well, that's a little bit weird. I don't know what's really going on. Well, obviously, we know that we ought to use soap in the shower every day to wash our bodies, but we have been learning about a different kind of soap that we should use every day. It's not a soap for our body. It's actually a soap for our soul. So everybody say soap for your soul. A soap for our soul. And those of you that haven't been with us, let me just catch you up a little bit about what soap is. Soap is actually a Bible study method that I have been teaching you guys to learn to study the Bible and read it every day. And not just read it and just kind of forget it, but actually learn how to really study it for yourselves. And what we've been doing during the month of July is we've been actually studying through the book of Acts together. And actually there's 28 chapters in Acts, so it almost just fits perfectly into the month. We're about halfway through right now. And here's what we've been doing is we've been challenging you to just read one chapter of Acts each day. And then as you are reading, you're going to use the SOAP method. And the SOAP method goes like this. In fact, SOAP stands for four different words. If you have been with us, you know what they are. Help me out. The S stands for what? Scripture. That was like two of you said it. Let's try this again. All right. The S stands for what? Everybody. Scripture. The O stands for what? Observation. The A stands for what? Application in the P stands for prayer. Yes, of course, prayer. And so here's how the Bible study method works. As you're reading through the book of Acts, each day you're going to come upon a chapter. And as you read that chapter that's in your Acts reading plan in your worship guide as well, as you come upon that, you're going to just say, God, what do you want to say to me through this chapter today? And as you say that, I believe that God's going to just let one or two verses just pop off the page to you. And when it does, here's what you're going to do. In your journal, you're going to need a journal. In your journal, or on your phone or somewhere where you can take notes, you're going to write down scripture. And then whatever that verse is, you're going to write it down. Then you're going to go to the observation part and you're going to say, what did I observe about that scripture? What do I think God is wanting to teach me through those couple of verses? Then you're going to get to the application part. You're going to write down application. You're going to say, how does this apply to my life? How can I apply this passage or this verse of scripture to my life today? And then you get to prayer and you just pray. You write down your prayer in your journal and you pray that God would help you to apply this passage or this verse of scripture to your life. And I'm telling you, if you will make this a daily habit every day, if you will read the Bible and if you will use this soap method, I believe God will touch your life. He'll speak to you some stuff. He'll change your life. In fact, how many would raise your hand and say, just in this last couple weeks we've been doing this, God has been speaking some stuff to me. Come on, all over the room, right? And here's the deal. We're about halfway through Acts, actually. Today, we are on Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, you might actually want to go ahead 
and open up to Acts chapter 15 today or in your phone, in your notes or whatever uh, today and get ready to go. Because here's the deal is what we've been doing is as we come to each chapter, then I've just been preaching on that chapter. We've just been kind of soaping it together on Sundays. And today we're on Acts chapter 15. And as I read through uh, the book of Acts and as I read through Acts chapter 15, there were a couple of verses that really just popped out to me, kind of popped off the page to me. And they're found in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 uh, through 41. So let's take a look at it together. It's on the screen and it's in your notes here today. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think that it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in uh, Pamphylia. That's kind of a hard name to say. In Pamphylia. And had not continued to work with them. And they had such a, everybody say these words aloud, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I'm reading this Acts chapter 15. And man, if you've been if you've been caught up with this on Acts, you're seeing that God is doing some amazing stuff in the church. I mean, the Holy Spirit has come down. People are getting saved. Amazing stuff is happening. Churches are being planted. The word of God is being spread everywhere. God's calling people like Paul to go out and do amazing things. But then we come to Acts chapter 15, and this is where we see actually kind of the first conflict that really starts taking place in the church. And man, I read that, and it just jumps off the page at me, especially that part right there that says that they experienced a sharp conflict. And I started thinking, man, wait a second, like, this is Paul, you know, this is, this is a man of God, you know, this is, this is Barnabas, these are some of the heroes of the faith, these are people that love God, and they love other people, and God's using them in awesome ways, I mean, they're Christians, there shouldn't be conflict happening among Christians, come on, have you ever thought that before, I mean, I think that's the picture we get in our minds sometimes, like, we think, okay, you know, I'm gonna come to Jesus, we're gonna go to church, everybody's just gonna love each other all the time, there's gonna be one wonderful and great. We're all going to sit in little circles and hold hands and sing Kumbaya because it's just going to be so wonderful. How many ever thought that before? It ought to be that way with Christians, but how many know that's not even real? How many know what I'm saying? Like, come on, how many have experienced it before that even among Christians, even in the church, maybe sometimes even worse in the church sometimes, there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some times we don't get along. There's going to be some people that we don't agree with. There's going to be some differences of opinions sometimes. And I've all, I've seen it, you know, we've all seen it before happen in the church. Kind of reminds me of these two old guys that were in this one church. It was old Jack and old John and old Jack and old John were deacons over at the first church. How many know old Jack and John, right? And, and these guys, man, they just, they just couldn't get along. They were always fighting constantly at each other's throats, especially when it comes to the board meetings, man, they'd get in the board meetings and the pastor would suggest something and Jack would say yay. And if Jack said yay, John would always say nay. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This kind of thing. And so, man, it just went on and on and on until one day old Jack passed away. He died. He went to heaven. Barely, he barely made it there, but he got to heaven. He's at the pearly gates and there he stands at the pearly gates and there's St. Peter at the gates and he's saying, hey, I know you got here to heaven, but there's one last thing you got to do before I can let you in. Now, this is not how you really get to heaven, but it's just a story. So bear with me. All right. 
And he says, one last thing you got to do before you can get into heaven, you got to spell a word. And old Jack says, all right, what's the word? And he says, the word is Jesus. And old Jack's like, oh, that's easy. I can spell that word. J-E-S-U-S. Peter said, all right, that's great. Come on in to heaven. Well, old Jack comes in to heaven. And he's been there for a little while. And then Peter says, hey, I got some other stuff I got to take care of. Jack, would you take care of the gates here and just make sure you know how they're supposed to get in and all the stuff that's supposed to happen? He's like, I got it. I got it, St. Peter. And so St. Peter goes off. Well, just so happened that about that time, old John passes away and he barely makes it to heaven too. And he gets up to heaven and he says, hey, Jack, I see. What are you doing up here? And I didn't think you'd make it up here. And old John says, says, well, I'm, I'm here too. And Jack says, well, there's one thing you got to do for you can get inside the pearly gates. And John says, well, what's that? He says, you got to spell a word. And old Jack and John says, what's the word? And old Jack says, spell Albuquerque. <laughs> Come on. That's funnier than y'all laughed. I think that's, that's pretty good. If, it, if you don't like it, that's the best I got. Okay. <laughs> and here's the deal. How many know people are like that? There are people sometimes that are just sometimes hard to get along with that sometimes even in the church, even among Christians, even among people who love God and love each other, there are going to be times when there's going to be some conflict, right? In fact, that's our observation for the day. If you're writing down, you write down observation. And here's the observation for today is this, even among Christians, there's going to be times where there's conflict. I know we think that it shouldn't be that way, but it is. I mean, the fact of the matter is, man, you just get a bunch of people in a room together and everybody's going to have a different, there's, everybody's going to have a different opinion. Everybody's going to think something different. And I'm telling you, in the church, in our relationships, in our marriage, in our families, with people, even people that we love, sometimes there's going to be times when we disagree. Sometimes there's going to be differences in opinion. Sometimes there's going to be tension. Sometimes there's, there's even going to be conflict. And to think that that's not going to happen is just not realistic. In fact, it's not even biblical. We see even here in Acts 15, people who are called by God and love God with all their hearts, who still experience what the Bible called a sharp disagreement. Here's the thing is that the conflict and the disagreements are really not the problem because those can't be avoided. Here's the problem that happens so many times in our lives and in our church. The thing that keeps us from experiencing what God wants most for us is not that we have conflict. It's the fact that most of our conflicts go unresolved. The truth is, is that so many of us have these points of tension. We have these disagreements, but then we don't know how to resolve the disagreements in our relationships. And that's where the problem actually comes to play. In fact, I just studied a little bit and just started thinking about a few observations about what happens when we do not resolve these conflicts that are inevitably going to come into our lives. And I just wrote down three things that I see in the scripture that happens. The first one is this, is that when we have unresolved conflicts, you might want to write it down. The first one is that it hinders our peace. How many know this to be true? Come on. How many have ever had an argument with someone or maybe someone hurts your feelings or whatever? And just, I mean, until you can have a conversation with that person and get everything squared away, guess what? You can't think about nothing else. Come on, right? Like you try, you try to put it aside. You try to act like it's no big deal. You try to act like it's not, it's not going to bother you. But man, I'm telling you what, I, I know in my life when maybe I've had a disagreement with my wife or one of our staff or someone at church, man, I can't think about nothing else until that disagreement has 
has been brought to resolution, right? And there's no peace in my mind. There's no peace in my heart because there's this, there's this unresolved issue that's happening in my relationships. And some of you are even here today and man, your mind is a million miles away from here because you're thinking about that conversation you had with someone else. You're thinking about that something that someone else said or did and something that you're, that you're holding on to and it's robbing you of the kind of peace that God really wants you to live in. And here's the deal, like the closer we are to the person that we're experiencing the conflict with, the more is going to rob our peace. Like, I mean, if it's just some dude on the street somewhere cuts you off, you can be mad, but you can be mad for a few minutes and then you're going to get over it. But how many know when it's someone that you love and you have a deep, intimate relationship with when they're upset or you're upset? Guess what? That's something that holds on for a long time. In fact, some people, even months, years of their life have been they have missed out on the peace of God in their life because they have unresolved conflict. In fact, this is what David, I think, was talking about in in the book of Psalm 55 and verse 12. Look what he says. He says, hey, if it were an enemy that were insulting me, hey, I could endure that. If it was a foe, he says, that was rising up against me, man, I could hide from that. But look what he says in verse 13. He says, but it's you. It's a man like myself. My companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Here's what David said. David's saying, hey, if it was just somebody I didn't know and we had a conflict or whatever, I'd get over that. But when it's someone that I love, someone that I go to church with, someone in my family, someone in my life group, and there's a conflict or an issue or an argument where that has been unresolved, man, it robs me completely of my inner peace. This is what happens when conflict goes unresolved. It, it hinders our peace. Number two, write this one down. When conflict goes unresolved, the second thing that happens is it, it actually hinders our prayers. In fact, you may not realize this today, but the Bible actually tells us that if we are holding on to unresolved issues in relationships, if we have unforgiveness or if we have bitterness or if we have resentment or if we have issues that we are holding on to in our relationships with others, that it actually will hinder our prayers from being answered. In fact, this is what Jesus was saying in Matthew in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Look what it says. He says, therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, how many are thankful for that, right? We can pray and God can answer our prayers. That's an incredible promise. But notice the second part of that promise in verse 25. Jesus goes on to say, though, that when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, this is what you should do. Forgive them so that your father in heaven may also forgive your sins. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I want to answer your prayers. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, unresolved issues in your heart in other relationships, it's actually going to hinder your prayers from being answered. Because here's the thing, whether you like it or not, whether you even agree with it or not, it's just the truth here today that your relationships with others will directly affect your relationship with God. Some of you are here today. Man, you're struggling. At one point, you could connect with God. You could worship and you could hear his voice. You could read his word and hear his voice. You could pray and you could spend time with him and in his presence. But now you're struggling to connect with God. And when you really get down to the heart of the issue, it might just be that there's a relationship with another person that needs to be resolved before your relationship with God can be what he wants it to be. 
In fact, it's not just in our friends and our family. It's, it's even in our marriage. In fact, look, look what Peter says about it in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Look what he says. He says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. All the women said, amen. amen. Treat your wife as with understanding as you live together. For she may be weaker, but she is an equal partner in God's gift of new life. And then look what he says. He says, treat her as you should so that, what? So that your prayers will not be hindered. You know what Peter's saying? Hey guys, if you're being a jerk to your wife, guess what? God's not going to answer your prayers. And you know what? All the ladies ought to say amen to that. But you know what? Ladies, the same thing. Like our relationships with others directly affect our relationship with God in our marriage, in our life groups, in our ministry teams, at our work, in our home, everywhere that we are, the relationships we have with others. If we have unresolved issues in those relationships, then we actually have unresolved issues with God. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 23. Look what he says. He says, so if you are presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember that someone else has something against you. Here's what he says to do. Leave the sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What's Jesus saying? Hey, if you're praying and you all of a sudden realize I need to apologize or I need to make something right with someone. I need to have a conversation with someone. He says, stop praying and go make it right. Then come back and pray. Man, that's pretty harsh. But this is the priority that God puts on these relationships that sometimes our relationship with God is hindered because we're holding on to stuff that we shouldn't be holding on to in our relationship with others. It will hinder, hinder our peace. It will hinder our prayer. Number three, write this one down. If you have unresolved conflict, here's what's going to happen. It's going to hinder your progress. You're not going to be able to move forward in what God wants you to move forward in until you deal with that issue. In fact, this is what we see happen with Paul and Barnabas. Here's guys that God is using in amazing ways. The church is being spread. Lives are being changed. Things are happening. And then they come upon this point of contention. They come upon this point of conflict. And in this point of conflict, all of the progress that the church is making is, comes to a screeching halt because they can't agree on this one thing. And it's not until they actually come to resolution about the disagreement that then the work of the church is able to continue and move forward. And in this instance, Paul and Barnabas, the way that they, that they came to a point of resolution to the problem was that they just had to agree to disagree. It wasn't that Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. It wasn't that Barnabas was right and Paul was wrong. It was just that they were going in separate directions. In fact, the scripture says it like this in Amos. How can two people walk together unless they go in the same direction? And here's the deal is that there are some times in our life where we're not able to move forward in what God wants for our lives, for our families, for whatever issue or situation in our life, because we've got unresolved conflict and issues that are stalling us, that are keeping us from being able to move forward. And the only way we're going to be able to move forward is if we stop and deal with the issue. And let me just be honest here and tell you today that there are some times when you're not going to agree. There are some times when actually you're not going to be able to talk the other person over to your side. And here's the problem for a lot of us. I think as Americans especially, we have this idea that if someone doesn't agree with me, they're just automatically wrong. Right? 
But here's the deal. I mean, yes, there are things that, that are absolutes. But here's the thing is that a lot of times when we have conflict, especially in the church, it's not about a theological thing. Most of the time it's about a style issue or it's about a preference issue. And we fight so hard to get someone over on our side and they fight so hard to get you on their side. And here's the deal. Sometimes just to bring resolution, you got to come to a place where you just say, I'm going to agree to disagree. And then I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it agreeably. In fact, this is what we see happen with Paul and Barnabas. They couldn't agree on which direction to go. And so they just said, hey, I'll go this way. You go that way. And you, you're going to see that, Bar- that Paul never, you, write, you read the rest of his writings. He never says bad things about Barnabas. He doesn't hold it against Barnabas. He just came to a place where he decided, hey, you can go that way and I need to go this way. And now progress can continue. I'll go that way. You go this way and God can continue to use us. We may not agree on this one thing, but we're still brothers. We're still sisters. We're still a part of the family of God. And it's okay. Come on, right? Everybody looks at your neighbor and just tell them, it's okay. It's okay sometimes. And sometimes it even means, hey, we got to go different directions. Now, not if you're married, all right? Not if you're married. But sometimes, you know, we just decide, hey, that's the way you feel and this is the way I feel. And I, I, love, the way, I love the way Augustine said it in a, in a quote that I found from him. He said, in essentials, we're going to have unity. In non-essentials, we're going to have liberty. And in all things, we're going to have charity. In other words, what he's saying, hey, if it's, I mean, if it's the word of God, we got to get behind it. And there's things we stand for. And even in that, we do it with the right heart and the right attitude, right? But then there are some things that are really not essential stuff. So what are we going to have? We're going to have liberty and freedom. And it's okay to think different things. And and just because you think different doesn't make you wrong. Come on, right? And in all things, here's how we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it with love and charity and grace. Because when there's unresolved conflict, it holds us back. It holds our prayer life back. It keeps us from the peace. It keeps us from the progress that God wants to bring in our church and in our life. So you say, what's the application? Well, here you go. You ready? If you're taking down the application, here it is. That God has called us to be peacemakers. Everybody say peacemaker. God's called us to be peacemakers. In fact, look what, look what Jesus has to say about it in a famous passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Look what he says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. So here's the thing is Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. What did he say? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now here's the thing is that most of us naturally, myself included, we naturally tend to be more peacekeepers than peacemakers. And you say, I'm not sure really what the difference is. Well, let me tell you what the difference is. Here's what a peacekeeper will do. A peacekeeper will avoid conflict at all costs just to try to keep the peace. Like, we don't want to talk about the issue. We'll just talk all around the issue because we want everybody to be happy and everything be good. Come on, right? You know what I'm saying? We do this in our family. There's an issue. Everybody knows there's an issue. It's family dinner time. Everyone comes over. Everybody, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. Everybody knows there's an issue, but we're going to pretend like there's no issue. We're not going to talk about it. We're, not going to, we're just going to talk all around it. We're not going to deal with it. We're just going to pretend like it's not there so that we can make it through the two hours of family family dinner. Come on. You know what I'm saying? That's a peacekeeper. We do it in church sometimes. I'm just going to smile and act like everything is okay, even though there's an issue and everybody knows there's an issue and we think that's okay. But here's the problem with peacekeeping is that it, you have to work first of all, really hard to keep it. Secondly, you can't keep it forever. In fact, here's what's going to happen. You've all seen it in the family before you keep the peace at 
Thanksgiving dinner and you keep it and everything's good. But then one little thing happens and everybody blows up and it's World War III in the living room. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, where did all of that come from? It came from all of this stuff that nobody dealt with. Everybody just glossed it over and act like it wasn't there to just try to keep the peace. And it's like, man, it happens in the church. You know, I, I can't go to that service because that's, that's when they go. I got to go to the late service or whatever because I don't want to see them or maybe stop even coming quite as much or, or whatever. Go to another church because I can't be around that person. And that's not God's will for us. That there are times when, hey, man, there is, there is an issue that we're not called to be a peacekeeper. We're called to be a peacemaker. And here's what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker will embrace conflict, even though it's difficult, in order to have lasting peace. See, a peacekeeper might have temporary peace, but a peacemaker will not just, not just talk about the issue, will talk through the issue, work through the issue so that there can actually be lasting peace in our relationships and we won't be hindered in our relationships with others and with God. So here's the question today. What areas of your life do you need to become a peacemaker? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe there's some issues that have been there for a while that you haven't been dealing with and you, you need to deal with them. You've been pretending like they're not there and there's, there's tension and there's stress and there's stuff that's happening in your marriage and it's holding you back. It's hindering your peace and you just really need to have a tough conversation. Maybe there's some of you that maybe it's a family issue and there's people in your family or in your extended family and, and it's, it's hindering your family from moving forward into all God has for your family to do and be, but nobody wants to talk about it. And maybe you might just be today, you might be one hard conversation away from a breakthrough. Maybe it's someone in church. Maybe it's something that, you know, you've been kind of ignoring it or whatever, but there's definitely tension there and it's hindering your relationship with God. You can't worship like you used to worship. You can't feel his presence like you used to feel his presence. And you're not going to until, until you deal with that issue, until you have that, that difficult conversation. So some of you say, well, I don't like this, Pastor. It's hard. In fact, some of you are like, this feels kind of tense even here right now because already in your mind you're thinking of the conversation that you need to have and it's difficult, but I'm telling you it's worth it. In fact, some of you say, I don't really know how to do this. So let me just give you a couple of application points to help you. The first one is this. Write this down. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to be people who are going to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And some of us, we need to have a conversation. Let me just tell you this. It needs to be a conversation. It doesn't need to be a text message. It doesn't need to be an email. Because how many know you can't really express emotion and tone and text message and emails? How many ever got a text message and then you're mad at the other person because the text message it wasn't even the way they meant it, but you're mad, right? right? And here's the deal. It's fine. Text messages, emails, that stuff is, is good ways to communicate sometimes. But when it comes to an issue where there is conflict and there is tension, you know what? You need to have a conversation. And it needs to be face-to-face if at all possible. And if not possible, at least a phone call. Because here's the deal. Your approach means everything. How do you approach it? See, some people, we say stuff and it's just like, what's well, the truth? Yeah, it might have been true. But was it really in love? Right? You were screaming at her wife. I was saying the truth. No, you were yelling the truth. You weren't doing it. You weren't doing it in a loving and a compassionate way. And we approach it in this way that my approach is not just to get stuff off my chest and not just to say truth, but my approach is to let that person know that I love them and actually to bring reconciliation in the relationship. 
fact, how, how do you do that? Let me just give you a couple little pointers here. The first one is that when we speak truth, what we're going to do is we're going to speak it in non-conflict times. Okay? Like if your spouse is throwing a shoe at you, that's probably not a good time to bring up a new truth. Okay? And sometimes what we do sometimes right in the middle of the argument, we're bringing up new stuff. Well, you did this and that or whatever. And that's not what I'm talking about. Look for, look for times when Hey, when, when it's not a stressful, conflict-related time, when there's already peace, so that you can sit down and you can speak truth and you speak it in a loving and a peaceful way. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to remember that we're always going to attack the issue and not the person. Sometimes, man, we think, well, I'm just, I'm dealing with this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them they were this and that and the other. No, no, you're attacking the person. You need to attack the issue. We're going to work on the situation, the issue, the things that is causing the conflict. And we're going to do our best. I know this is a very emotional thing, so it's difficult. But we're going to do our best to take the emotion out of it and deal with the issue so that God can bring peace in the relationship. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak it in love. Number two, write this one down. I'm going to apologize when I'm wrong. See, some of us, you know, here's the thing for some of us is that, is that we think it's all the other person's fault. And sometimes it's the other person's fault mostly, but most of the time there's fault on both ends and both sides. And one of the most difficult things to say sometimes is those words, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And yet sometimes those are the most powerful words that you can say. But the problem for most of us is that we don't, we don't apologize. What we do, we make excuses. Well, I didn't mean it that way or let me, I didn't say that or what, whatever. And sometimes, let me just tell you, just a little bit of humility in a relationship will go a whole long ways. You may not even think you did anything wrong. Take it on you anyway. You know what? Jesus didn't do anything wrong, but what did he do? He took it all on himself. Come on. And so I'm going to apologize when I'm wrong. Number three, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. Some of us, man, we've been holding on to stuff and it's hindering our relationship. It's hindering, it's hindering our life. It's hindering our marriage. It's hindering our prayer time. It's hindering our peace in our heart because we're holding on to stuff. Man, some of you have been holding on to stuff for years and years and years and you're missing out on the peace that God wants to give you in your life. You're missing it. Because you're holding on to something. Man, we look at Paul and Barnabas. They dealt with the issue. There was a conflict. It was a sharp disagreement. But they dealt with it. And then they moved on. They let it go. You don't see later on Barnabas saying, or Paul saying bad stuff about Barnabas and all. No, no, no. It was over in that moment. In fact, later, you're actually going to see that Paul commended Barnabas and that John Mark, the guy that was the one that was really responsible for the conflict in the relationship. Anyway, that later, actually, Paul calls for John Barnabas, says, bring him back to me because he's helpful to me in my ministry. That there was so much of a turnaround and reconciliation that they were actually even able to work together again later. Because they got to the point where they said, I'm going to deal with it and then I'm going to let it go. Some of you, you know what you need to do? You need to let it go, let it go. You're going to have that song in your head the rest of the day, right? You're welcome, you're welcome. You just need to get over it because it's holding you back. See, guys, it ain't worth it. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be times, hey, I'm going to do stuff you don't like. Guess what? You do stuff I don't like sometimes too. And there are times, man, we've allowed that conflict, that we've allowed that, that stuff to get inside and then it becomes resentment and eventually it becomes bitterness and eventually it can poison our whole lives and it causes us to miss out 
on the peace that God wants to give us in our heart and in our relationships. It can hinder our relationship with him. And so there comes a time where we just have to say, hey, maybe I need to have a hard conversation. Maybe some of you have had some hard conversations and and, and maybe it's just, hey, you need to be the one to apologize. Maybe some of you have done all of that and you just need to come to a place today where you say, I've had the conversations, I've done the stuff, and now I just need it. I need to let it go. I need to give it to God. Well, the other person won't change. And guess what? You can't change them. But maybe you just decide, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going I'm to let it go. Scripture, we see, man, Scripture's powerful. We can get so much practical for our lives. We see Paul and Barnabas with this, with this sharp disagreement, this conflict, but we get some observations from it that, man, it's going to hold us back if we allow it in our lives. But we find application that we can become peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. And when we do, here's the cool thing, is that Jesus Christ himself is the prince of peace. In fact, the Scripture tells us that that he is our peace who has broken down all the dividing walls in our relationships. And through him, we can have that peace today. So what's the prayer? The prayer is this, God help us. This is painful. This is hard. This is difficult. But God help us to be peacemakers, even when it would be easier to just be peacekeepers.